I live by routines, but I especially love my same-day delivery routine with Shipped. And my shopper knows this about me. When Sunday rolls around and I place my weekly stock-up order, Joe sends texts from the aisles. Wilted lettuce? Nah, hard pass. Deal on my favorite sparkling water? Whew, grab two. Fresh flowers just because? Hmm, sounds like a delightful idea. If you love routines that work for you, get Shipped same-day delivery. Shipped. Delight in every delivery. Learn more at ship.com slash high. Tonight on The Readout. He said the president asked him to violate the Constitution, no, which is another way of saying he, he asked him to break said, the law. He never said, no, that's wrong. That's wrong. A, a, a technical violation of the Constitution is not a violation of criminal law. That's just plain wrong. Ah, yes. Trump's alleged crimes are just, you know, technical violations of the Constitution. Nothing to get all worked up about. That's the best Trump's lawyers can do. And tonight we're getting our first look at their formal response to the special counsel's request for a protective order in the case. Plus, we're on the eve of a critical referendum in Ohio designed specifically to make it harder to protect abortion rights as a judge rules that the abortion ban in Texas goes too far. But we begin tonight with equal justice under the law. It's the basic bottom line concept that the legal system is supposed to work the same way for all of us. So whether you're rich or poor, white or black or brown, gay or straight, famous or not so famous, the legal system is supposed to treat you the same. That is the goal under the U.S. Constitution, at least. Of course, we all know that that is not actually how it works. And sometimes, just sometimes, we get a little reminder Take a look at this. This is footage of Union Square in New York City on Friday. The crowd had gathered after being summoned online by Kai Sinat. Now, if you've never heard of Kai Sinat, join the club. I'd never heard of him either until my son Miles called me to tell me about this incident. Kai Sinat, as it turns out, is the very famous, most popular streamer on an app called Twitch, which the youngins use to live stream about gaming, sports, entertainment, and the like. He had advertised a huge giveaway of electronic gizmos, including PS5 gaming systems, which are really expensive. So, of course, the teenagers came in numbers and the gathering turned unruly. Dozens were arrested, including Sinat, who was charged with inciting a riot and promoting an unlawful assembly. He was released on bond on Saturday and given a desk appearance ticket and a court date of August 18th, according to the Associated Press. Now, I just want you to think about those developments. As you listen to the folks on a certain non-news network with news in their name whining about how Donald Trump is being treated so poorly and so differently from anyone else. I mean, that is partially true. Trump and his supporters have been treated very differently from anyone else. Note again, with Kai Sinat and the riot in Union Square, famous person summons a crowd to a specific location using social media, turns into a riot. Dozens arrested on the spot, not a year later, like the MAGAs who attacked our Capitol on January 6th, or like Trump, who's been gallivanting around as a free man for two and a half years before he was charged with summoning them there to overturn the election. In Sanat's case, it's an immediate arrest and a court date within weeks. And that's not to say that these situations are exactly alike. I mean, for one thing, Sanat apologized for his part in causing the mayhem, and he hasn't cut a song with the people who landed in jail for jumping on top of cars and throwing bottles and punches. 
But they are alike enough that we can compare how the criminal justice system treats these two famous men and their followers differently. Of course, in Trump's case, the situation is far more consequential because it's, it's not about a game system giveaway. It's about a president of the United States trying to steal the votes of tens of millions of Americans so he can stay in power. And the latest developments in the Trump case make it even worse. In just the latest, in just the last few hours, we have heard from Trump's lawyers responding to special counsel Jack Smith's request for a protective order that would keep Trump from making public any of the evidence they're turning over to his defense. Trump's lawyers claim that the proposed order is overbroad and frame this as the government seeking to restrict Trump's First Amendment rights. Perhaps the most consequential change they're requesting would allow Trump to make public some of the evidence, including recordings and transcripts of witness testimony. The request for the order came after the special counsel said that Trump's social media posts could, quote, have a harmful and chilling effect on witnesses or adversely affect the fair administration of justice. They cited Trump's post last week where he wrote, quote, if you go after me, I'm coming after you. And if that wasn't evidence enough, Trump has continued to make the special counsel's point, posting over the weekend and today multiple attacks on the DOJ, Judge Chutkin, Jack Smith, and his former Vice President Mike Pence, who could be a key witness in his trial. Joining me now is former Senator Claire McCaskill, MSNBC political analyst, Luke Broadwater, New York Times reporter, Kimberly Atkins-Store, senior opinion writer and columnist for the Boston Globe, and MSNBC political analyst, and Stuart Stevens, political strategist, senior advisor to The Lincoln Project, and author of the upcoming book, The Conspiracy to End America, appropriate title. And I just really quickly want to focus for just a minute on the disparity. And I, I, I will go to you first, Kimberly, um, because, you know, the, the cases aren't the same. And I'm not saying they're the same. Obviously, it's very different, a former president. What he did, what he did is much worse. But, but it, it, it still bugs me, Kimberly, that the people... But set aside Trump for a second, who attacked our Capitol, live streamed it, right? Not on Twitch, but on other things, and then went back to their hotels, casually got on planes and went home. It was only a year later in most cases that they even got arrested. This was like some teenagers brawling or, you know, getting too excited about a PS5 scooped up immediately. And the guy who called them there, who's not trying to overturn an election, and who's not out there attacking the judge and prosecutors, he got arrested. I, I will propose to you, and I will let you respond, that our criminal justice system is definitely bifurcated, but not bifurcated against Donald Trump, bifurcated in favor of him. Your thoughts? I think that's absolutely true, Joy. This is not the first time we talked about the difference in way the criminal justice system treats people as they perceive them to be a threat. Even the people who threatened our very democracy, the foundation of our government, were seen in a way to be less threatening. I remember on January 6th and the days after, I was shocked that these people were allowed 
to board planes and return home to wherever they were going. Surely, had it been a terrorist of a different kind, that wouldn't have been allowed to happen the same way you saw the swift action uh, that took place in New York City. But to broaden this a little bit, Joy, we're talking about Donald Trump and his claims that he is being unfairly targeted and people are after him. He has been given, he has been afforded far more lenience and leeway and grace by the justice system than any other person in the United States of America. He has been allowed to fly on his big old plane to be arraigned very quietly. We only know about most of it because of his own posts. He has never served a minute in jail. He was never in handcuffs. He was never, uh, no mug shots were taken. He has been treated with kid gloves so far with all uh, of, of the, you know, with all of the luxury that a former president uh, can get. So that is even more a far cry, considering he is indicted now as the ringleader of the attack on American democracy. Yeah. And Claire, let me go to you on this, because, you know, you're a former United States senator. I mean, we're talking about an attempt to stay in power that resulted in jeopardizing and putting at risk the lives of all 100 United States senators and every member of the House of Representatives and their staffs and police and Capitol Police and Metro Police who responded and the people who work in the Capitol cleaning the Capitol and providing all the services. We're talking about threatening people's lives in addition to what's charged in the four counts, trying to deprive tens of millions of people of the right to vote. It is stunning to me that Donald Trump posts on his social, if you come after me, I'm coming after you which we reported this on Friday and we were trying to be very careful and very fair because we didn't know who he was talking about. Well, Jack Smith apparently heard his own name, <laughs> heard his own, heard the judge's name, heard the witnesses. He saw it the way we kind of assumed, you know, that we saw it. Right. And so this guy is now out there saying not only does he want to be able to threaten potential witnesses, the judge and Jack Smith, the prosecutor, but he wants evidence in the case that he wants to be able to put on his social. We know what he's going to do with it, Claire. Well, this case is so bizarre in so many ways. I mean, first of all, Lady Justice wears a blindfold for a reason. Clearly, she she's peeking and she's peeking <laughs> because we had a situation where at the moment these crimes were occurring, he was the most powerful man in the country. And. Everybody in the system was reacting in deference to his power. And they weren't prepared that day. Law enforcement wasn't prepared. They, they were not capable of arresting everybody on the spot because, frankly, there were a whole lot of people frozen because Trump had kind of laid the groundwork ahead of time. Don't anybody go after my people. I want them to be able to do what they need to do. So, you know, here's the thing. In a normal criminal case, Joy, the defense lawyer would not be on national TV threatening witnesses with how he's going to cross-examine them, much less the former vice president of the United States. The defendant would not be trumpeting with a huge national megaphone threats against the prosecutor, against the judge, I mean, spewing vitriol against the people who are responsible for enforcing the law against anybody, frankly, that's not willing to lie for him. So it's hard to understand what this lawyer thinks he's accomplishing 
by his national media tour. I, 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 can you imagine if Jack Smith booked an interview on your show tomorrow night and told all your viewers, I can't wait to cross-examine Donald Trump? Can you imagine the, the hue and cry that would rise from the masses of MAGA about how this prosecutor was on a vendetta? But meanwhile, the criminal defense lawyer is doing just that. It's not just Trump that's threatening these witnesses. In a way, this criminal defense lawyer is trying to telegraph to Pence, hey, I'm, I'm coming after you. I'm spending hours preparing my cross-examination. It's bizarre. Yeah. Uh, Luke Broadbar, welcome to the show. I, I, I want to sort of get some sort of reporting uh, on sort of what the thinking is inside Trump world. We did get the Trump team response. They did respond to the Jack Smith motion, to Claire's point. Um, and here's what they did. The motion to protect. They they cited Dark Brandon. I mean, it, it's almost like they're not taking it seriously. Um, the quote is President Biden has likewise capitalized on the indictment, posting a thinly veiled reference to his administration's prosecution of President Trump. He's not president anymore. Just hours before arraignment. And, and in that, they put a screenshot of a Biden tweet where he's drinking coffee out of a dark Brandon mug. That doesn't sound like a serious response. Um, I, I wonder if you have any reporting from within Trump world of is there purpose here just to mess with the jury and, you know, in, inflame people on his side that might be jurors, because this doesn't even sound like a serious response. Well, they're trying to muddy the waters and draw an equivalency between the actions that he's taking on Truth Social, which are <laughs> it's, it appears to me are in direct violation of what the judge told him in court, which is you can't you shouldn't uh, threaten or intimidate any witnesses or you shouldn't have any contact with any witnesses. And so here he's putting Mike Pence's name on on Truth Social and basically attacking him and uh, sending out a warning to anyone and then saying, well, that I'm talking about my political rivals, not uh, not potential witnesses in court. Uh, and, and so they're trying to put forward this Dark Brandon thing, but it, that isn't what Dark Brandon is, right? I mean, Dark Brandon is a response to this meme that was on the right, and then Joe Biden retook it, and it's about him being cool, and it, it has nothing to do with with Trump being locked up. So, you know, I think they're trying to draw some equivalency here that really isn't there, and I doubt the judge will take that very seriously. And Stuart, to, to, to both Luke and Claire's point, let's just put up some of this. So, no, we're not gonna, I'm not going to read a lot of it, but he, Trump did do this sort of stream of consciousness on his truth social about not being able to get a fair trial, calling Mike Pence Liddle, L-I-D-D-L-E, Mike Pence, um, who, and then talking about how he, the only reason that he is, was VP, you know, he was going to be ousted as governor of Indiana, you know, and he made him his VP and now he's gone to the dark side, calling Jack Smith deranged. He must be recused and sort of going on and on and on and on and on. Um, it is working on some level because he's also gone after Nancy Pelosi, which I think is vulgar saying she's going to live in hell, you know, just sort of gross sort of conduct. But there's a poll that's out from CBS YouGov, um, Stewart, that shows that this is working on some level. It asks how many voters agree with the following statements, that the indictments and investigations are trying to stop Trump, the stop, stop the Trump campaign, uphold the rule of law, defend democracy, or it's an attack on people like me. Now, we just put the general numbers up. But when you break that down, Stewart, by party, Republicans, it's like 75% say that it's an attack on people like me. And even among independents, it's 50-50. 
about whether or not it's trying to actually uphold the rule of law or stop the Trump campaign. It's like 50-50 among independents. So this, to some degree, is having an effect, Stuart. Yeah, you know, in politics, uh, we have this saying that when you're attacked, don't try to shoot the plane down, blow up the aircraft carrier. And that's what Donald Trump is doing here. And the aircraft carrier is the American uh, judicial system. This We shouldn't make any mistake about it. This is a, a concerted effort by Trump, and he's supported by the Republican Party. And that's really the, the key message here. You can't expect Donald Trump not to be Donald Trump. But there are a lot of people in the Republican Party who would like to consider themselves serious human beings who care about America, who have remained silent and allowed this to happen. And the end result of this is pretty unimaginable, because the end result of this is Donald Trump getting reelected. And that will be the end of democracy as we know it in America. And he is quite clear that that is his goal. If you go back to his announcement in Waco on the 30th anniversary of the uh, Waco uh, tra tragedy there, it was really a declaration of war against democracy in the United States. And that's what's at stake. And until the Republican Party starts acting like responsible Americans, I think it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. Yeah, Claire, I mean, I think that's clear, right? And, and you haven't seen, you know, the, the Republicans who one used to think of, the sort of Lindsey Graham squad, they're silent on this stuff or they're down with it. Well, most of them are hiding. I mean, I've said this many times before and I'll say it again. The vast majority of the Republican senators can't stand Donald Trump. They abhor what he's done to their party. They abhor the norms he's blown up. They think his politics is, is base and ugly. But they are afraid of his political power and of the base that he has created and calcified within the Republican Party. And so they're just afraid to, to be, it's just, I've said it before, they're all lily-livered cowards. If all of them would come together, and you can leave out Tuberville and some of the idiots, but you know, if, if most of them would come together and do a press conference and say, we've had enough, the party would follow them. I mean, they would follow the leaders. If McCarthy would, you know, come to his senses and actually say, I'm not going to be hijacked by the most extreme elements in this country. I'm going to do what most of the American people want us to do. And that is to behave responsibly and try to solve America's problems. But they are too afraid of his political power. And it, that's the bottom line. And I don't think it's going to change anytime soon. Yeah. All right. We're going to talk more about this. There, there's, there's, there's more to say because I want to talk about what is aspirational and what is illegal. We're going to talk about that when my esteemed panel comes back on the other side of the break. And we're also going to talk a little bit more about Donald Trump's characteristically childish attacks uh, and his attorney's ongoing struggle to figure out how to defend him. The readout continues after this. Hey, it's Mel Robbins. Let's cut to the chase. There is a change you want to make right now, but you're waiting to feel motivated. You don't need motivation. You've got me. You can change your life anytime you want. And when you're ready, the Mel Robbins podcast is here to help you with inspiration and simple science-backed tools to help you create a better life. Listen to me and you'll feel motivated, all right. Listen and follow the Mel Robbins podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, 
which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. Back with me, our former Senator Claire McCaskill, Luke Broadwater, Kimberly Atkins Store, and Stuart Stevens. Let me play for you all John Lauro, Donald Trump's uh, defense attorney, talking about what Donald Trump attempted to get Mike Pence to do on January 6, 2021. Take a listen. What President Trump did not do is direct Vice President Pence to do anything. He asked him in an aspirational way. What he was asking for is is for Raffensperger to get to the truth. That was an aspirational ask. <laughs> Kimberly, is there an aspirational sort of codicil in law that you, you know, you know, I would really like you to give me all your money, uh, bank uh, manager. It's an aspiration. I'd like to have a million dollars. I'd like you to do it. Uh, I think I'm robbing the bank, but but he in John Laurel's world, I'm just being aspirational. Right. Yeah. Given John Laurel's uh, description of the Constitution and the law, I deserve a refund for my law school <laughs> tuition because clearly I was taught the wrong thing. What There is no legal precedent for that. And what the evidence that we all have seen and heard, what we saw in real time and what was reported and what we saw in Donald Trump's own social media posts, looked more like threats uh, than aspirational asks. He knew that there were armed people after Mike Pence on January 6th, and he egged them on in real time in the phone call with Raffensperger that we heard. We heard him threaten him uh, if he did not find this exact number of votes that would have put him over the top. Those are not aspirational asks. My favorite part was uh, when Lauro said that a violation of the Constitution, a technical violation of the Constitution was not a violation of law. That's not how the constitutional <laughs> the Constitution works. A constitutional violation is a constitutional violation. And that's what the president stands accused of. Um, Luke, what is the strategy here? Because Lauro has been all over TV. He did like a full Ginsburg on the Sunday shows. And he it is the point of the strategy from your reporting and from what you understand, just to muddy the waters enough to get themselves a hung jury. Well, it's I mean, this is we always say unprecedented, but we've never seen a situation like this where someone's running for president at the same time as they're facing these very serious criminal cases against them. And so he's simultaneously intertwining his legal defense with his campaign. And that means trying to persuade voters, potential voters out there, that these charges really aren't that bad. Also potentially persuade prospective jurors that these charges aren't that bad. And also everybody who works for Donald Trump knows you have to impress him on TV, right? That's one of the things that goes along with working for Donald Trump. So Laura was out there trying to 
say, well, this stuff might have been wrong, but it's not a crime and that it's all protected by the First Amendment. And so he's trying to take things that, you know, sort of sound like threats or orders and say, well, they're just asks. He's just encouraging somebody. He wasn't he wasn't actually doing it himself. And anybody who studied Donald Trump knows he often asks other people to do the deed that he doesn't want to actually do himself. But uh, so they're they're trying to to split the difference there and and perhaps put up some sort of defense uh, to both prospective jurors and, and to voters. Um, you know, it is it is uh, like we always say an unprecedented situation. Yeah, and in my in my bank analogy, I'm wearing a full face mask and I have a gun, <laughs> but it's aspirational. Um, Stuart, let me give Alina Haba points for um, chutzpah <laughs> because her defense was uh, quite colorful. Let's play her defense in the classified documents case. You have to remember that a lot of these cases deal with classified documents and classified records, which mean that all the lawyers now have to apply for special clearance, right? So it's not a normal situation. You can't just take a classified document and review it. You have to have skiffs. You have to have certain procedures put in place. This is where I have to, I have to throw my papers. I, I just have to throw my papers. Uh, papers have to get thrown. Stuart! Her, her, her defense is you just can't take classified documents and have them in the open. Who does yeah. that? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, what are the odds that these are going to be Trump's lawyers, you know, in two months? Um, not great. Um, you know, look, this is an attempt to try to get a guy elected president so he can pardon himself. And Trump yeah. is out there saying that it's not me on trial. It's you on trial. And what he's done is he's he's taken the Republican Party, which once at least aspired to be an optimistic party, which considered to be an American to have one life lottery. And he's taking it now that it's the victimhood party. And he's making people feel that any grievance that you have, I can settle the score. They're coming after me after they did with you. It's a complete opposite of everything that we said that we believed, which apparently was just you know, marketing slogans of personal responsibility, character counts. None of that means anything. But ultimately, what you, you know, what Claire said is so true. Republicans could end this. They're, they're not just passive spectators here. And the level of burden that's being placed on them compared to what others have done to defend democracy. I mean, you've gone from the greatest generation to the worst generation with these Republicans. And I think it's going to haunt them and it's just going to be a badge of shame that they're going to wear the rest of their lives. Yeah, I mean, we don't we don't have the, the clip, but uh, Mitch McConnell was lustily booed uh, in his home state. You know, and, and I guess they're so fearful of the kind of people who would boo Mitch McConnell. But, I, you know, Claire, you have experience with the, the electoral. Republicans will vote for whatever Republicans on the ballot. They, they, they could put any Republican on the ballot. They're going to vote for them. They voted for Ron DeSantis in Florida. They'll vote for any of them. So it's like they really could just get someone else and they'll get the same votes probably um, and ve or very few, you know, not that many fewer. Um, let me go on to this one, because what Donald Trump also would like to have is to have Judge Chutkin recuse herself and go away. He really does like Aileen Cannon. She just did a ruling um, that definitely seems like it was in his favor, um, asking prosecutors to justify using the other grand jury as sort of taking a takedown of them, uh, admonishing them for using an outside grand jury. Ergo, the D.C. grand jury. This is a case that's about D.C. and Mar-a-Lago. She's getting, she's taking a lot of heat for this. Um, and I don't understand how you can, I'm not a judge, I'm not a lawyer, 
But it's wrong to use an outside grand jury in a case that involves the theft of classified documents from D.C.? Well, the federal government can gather evidence in any legally seated grand jury, and they can use that evidence in whatever jurisdiction it is applicable. And clearly, Jack Smith decided, and I think this was shows his integrity, that since the Mar-a-Lago crimes around documents happened in Florida, that case should be brought in Florida. Now, a lot of people aren't happy about that. They would have liked it all to be in D.C. He also brought the cases in D.C., that are more applicable to that venue. So I don't think, and by the way, their lawyer, you know, his lawyers are already trying to back up the truck on recusal. They know this is like, you know, pulling the pin out of the grenade and throwing it towards the bench uh, in terms of the judge, highly respected judge in DC. You know, Donald Trump is so stupid. He is the only man in America that will pay millions of dollars for legal advice and listen to none of it. And I also got to say, Joy, I got to get this in before we close today. I was there the day Donald Trump took the oath of office. I was sitting up there with all the other senators. It was a sad day for me and many of others of us that were sitting up there. His speech was dystopian and bizarre and depressing. But I remember when he held his hand up and I distinctly recall that he said he would uphold the Constitution and he did not add except for the technical stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I would add that the reason he doesn't take the advice of his expensive lawyers is he's not using his own money to pay for said lawyers. That's his fans who are sending him $45 who are paying for it. His, you know, working class fans are paying them bills. He's not. Claire McCaskill, um, and thank you for that final point. It's so important. It is the point. Claire McCaskill, Luke Broadwater, Kimberly Atkins Store, and Stuart Stevens. Thank you all very much. Coming up, playing whack-a-mole to defend Americans' reproductive rights as conservatives use the end of federal protections to push new restrictions in multiple states. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Mel Robbins. Let's cut to the chase. There is a change you want to make right now, but you're waiting to feel motivated. You don't need motivation. You've got me. You can change your life anytime you want. And when you're ready, the Mel Robbins podcast is here to help you with inspiration and simple science-backed tools to help you create a better life. Listen to me and you'll feel motivated, all right. Listen and follow the Mel Robbins podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, parents, Greenlight is here to take one big thing off your to-do list, teaching your kids about money. With a Greenlight debit card and money app of their own, Kids and teens learn to earn, save, and invest. You can send money instantly, set flexible controls, and get real-time notifications of your kids' money activity. Set up chores and put allowance on autopilot to reward them for their hard work. Then learn about the world of money together. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com podcast. Ron DeSantis, who tried to be sneaky by signing a six-week abortion ban in the middle of the night, went on NBC News to claim Democrats are the party of infanticide. Spoiler alert, it didn't go well. I would not allow uh, what a lot of the left wants to do, which is to override pro-life protections throughout the country, all the way up really until the moment of birth in some instances, which I think is, is infanticide. Uh, well, it is actually, not- I got to push back on you on that because that that's a, a misrepresentation of, of what's happening. I mean, that 
1.3% of abortions happen at 21 weeks or higher. There's no, no right. evidence of Democrats pushing for but, but their abortions view up is, until... Their view is, is that all the way up into that, yet there should not be any legal protections. Uh, There's no in the indication now, of Democrats right, pushing you're, you're for right. that. First of all, Excellent journalistic work by NBC's Dasha Burns pushing back on that nonsense. Because no, abortion after birth, a complete oxymoron, which actually would be infanticide and a crime, or up to the point of birth is not a thing, Ron. And that rhetoric is just gaslighting anyway, a dishonest framing of progressive abortion policy. Because even Republicans know how unpopular their forced birth, even for little girls, stance is. Regardless of party, women and girls do not want their bodily autonomy snatched away from them, nor do healthcare providers want their hands tied as patients face serious risks to their health. If you think otherwise, you are not paying attention. It's why a group of women and doctors sued the state of Texas over medical exceptions in its abortion laws, one giving harrowing testimony about being forced by law to give birth to a fetus without a full skull. A Texas judge on Friday issued a temporary exemption to the Texas abortion ban that would allow women with complicated pregnancies to obtain the procedure. It would also keep doctors free from prosecution if they determined a fetus would not survive after birth. But hours later, the state attorney general's office filed an appeal with the Texas Supreme Court, blocking the judge's order from taking effect. The forced birth party isn't just placing these women at risk, but also our national security. Thanks to Tommy Tuberville, the MAGA senator who's so mad about women's rights, he's choosing to undermine U.S. military readiness against our enemies. On Friday, the U.S. Army became the second military branch without a Senate-confirmed leader behind the Marines, as Tuberville continues to block hundreds of military nominations in a protest against a Pentagon abortion travel reimbursement policy. From misinformation to sneaky tactics to full-blown border suppression, America is slouching toward Gilead, forcing the abortion rights movement to get ensnared in a game of legal whack-a-mole all across the country. It's why all eyes are on Ohio, where the Republican-controlled legislature has called for a special session, which takes place tomorrow, that would raise the bar for amendments from a simple majority to 60 percent of the vote. This would make it harder for Ohio voters to pass future constitutional amendments, including one on the November ballot to guarantee abortion rights. It means the party of voter suppression and gerrymandering is resorting yet again to crushing democracy to get what it wants. But it's not what Ohio wants. And that is next. Tomorrow, Ohioans will go to the polls to decide the future of Issue 1, a referendum that proposes an increase of the minimum threshold needed to pass amendments in the state constitution. This vote comes just about three months before Ohio voters will vote on a constitutional amendment preserving abortion access in the state. Many are calling this referendum an attempt by Ohio Republicans to move the goalposts just ahead of the abortion access vote. Joining me now is Katie Paris, founder of Red, Wine and Blue, an advocacy group that opposes issue one. Thank you so much for being here, uh, Ms. Paris. Let's talk about this. Uh, The polls are very clear. Um, Do people support state issue one, um, which is, I believe, the issue about, you know, making, you know, making putting abortion rights in the Constitution? Yes, it's about two thirds of people do. Uh, do you support the abortion rights amendment itself? 58%. Sorry. So, so, th- I mean, I'm sorry. 58.7% oppose issue one, which is the one that would make the threshold higher and two thirds about the same support abortion rights. 
Are you concerned that this won't pass, though, um, because of turnout and because it's summer? Well, that is certainly what Republicans are counting on. And look, it's confusing, right? I mean, we've got to vote no in August before we vote yes in November to, to protect our reproductive rights. And there is no question that Ohioans do not support giving ourselves less of a voice. We would like to continue to have access to citizen-led ballot initiatives as we have for 112 years, but just ahead of us passing reproductive rights, because Republicans know that we're going to do that too. All the polls show, like you said, about two-thirds of voters really support protecting our reproductive rights. 85% of independent women support this reproductive rights initiative. So they know that they will lose if that it can pass under the current rules, which would just require a simple majority. Majority rules, yeah. one person, one vote. So they're trying to change the rules. And I think that they know that they have something to worry about because those polls are very bad for them and turnout is very bad for them. They were expecting to have a quiet election in August where no one would notice. And instead, 700,000 people in Ohio have voted already. That is hundreds of thousands more than we saw who had voted early in the election that they held last year in August. And it's actually 150,000 more votes even than we saw in the May primary, which was a big deal last year in Ohio. It was the U.S. Senate uh, primary, and it was a very competitive race. And we're even seeing more voting on that in August on an issue, on a ballot initiative issue. So I think that that is leading to some desperation on their side, to be you know, sure. And obviously there's a, there's a United States Senate race in November that would be on the same ballot with the abortion rights measure. So, you know, I think Republicans probably understand that if you get more women and younger people to the polls, that's probably not good for them overall, right, in terms of their political um, sort of uh, desires. But has anyone expressed any reservation on the Republican side to you that you know of? Because it does feel like these are a bunch of men who are trying to strip women of their rights against the will of two-thirds of the state. Yeah, no question about it. This is not really a partisan issue. I mean, people want to be able to have a voice in our democracy. And so it's interesting, driving across the state, sometimes you'll actually see Republican signs in someone's yard, even in some cases, Trump signs. Um, But then they'll have a vote no on issue one because they want to be able to have a direct voice in our democracy. So there's no question that this is bringing over lots of independents Um, It's a coalition, a cross-partisan coalition, and I think that that is making the vote yes people, the people who want us to have less of a voice, they want to take away majority rule, um, that's making them very nervous. So we're seeing a lot of disinformation out here on the ground, unfortunately, Joy. Has there been any reaction or what's your reaction to the fact that the women in Texas who sued the state of Texas, because in many cases they could have died or been left unable to ever have children again because their state essentially says, even if you're going to give birth to a child with a non-formed cranium or a child that is already dead, you have to do it. Even if you're a child yourself, Um, they have won at least so far. But the attorney general there is still suing. He still wants people to be forced to essentially die in childbirth. What has been your reaction to kind of that playing out in another state? I mean, the issue of reproductive freedom is going to continue to be an issue until we get our rights back. I mean, and it's because we are seeing stories like this play out. You know, so many women, we have had 
complications in our pregnancies or someone we know has, many people we know have. This is deeply personal. It's inhumane. Amanda Zorowski, uh, one of the leading women in that case, she came and spoke with the women of Red Wine and Blue. There wasn't a dry eye in the house, and it also stiffened our backs because she doesn't want to see Ohio or any other state treat women the way that she's been treated in Texas. And so we are standing by her. We are standing up for her. And we're not going to let that happen anywhere else. And until politicians and pundits get the message that abortion is going to continue to be a motivating factor in these elections until we get their rights back, they're going to keep getting these elections all wrong. Uh, Katie Paris, um, good luck. So I, just to remind people, because I had it switched around, people are being asked by you to vote no uh, in this election tomorrow be, so that they can vote yes in November. I want to make sure that I did not switch that around. Is that correct? That's correct. You got it right. You got to vote no. Say no to taking our voices away. Say no to all the disinformation. Um, vote no tomorrow. Absolutely. Vote no. Thank you for getting okay. it right, Joy. Thank you very much, Katie Paris. Appreciate you uh, and good luck. Still ahead, readout blog writer Jahan Jones joins me to help kick off his new blog series celebrating 50 years of hip hop. Back in a sec. Fifty years ago this very month, a couple of teenagers threw a back-to-school party in the Bronx with music provided by DJ Cool Herc. That event turned out to be the birth of one of the biggest and most influential music genres of all time, hip-hop. And we at The Readout are celebrating this anniversary with a new digital series called Hip Hop is Universal to dive into how hip hop has influenced not just today's music, but everything from our culture and our fashion to even our politics. Joining me now to explain is The Readout blog's very own Jahan Jones. Jahan, it is good to see you. Uh, tell us what you got going. Uh, what do you have coming up uh, on this amazing new site? Yes, yes. Thank you so much for having me on to talk about this joy. As you mentioned, we got a uh, hip hop is universal coming up. What better occasion to talk about the awesome power of what I believe to be uh, one of the most potent uh, forms of uh, self-expression uh, to be known in humankind. And so we are going to be uh, debuting hip hop focused blogs, um, podcasts, uh, some playlists as well. Look, you might even see me play some instruments. I keep my tools on me. So uh, I'm making some beats for all y'all as well. But the point here is really to celebrate the last 50 years of hip hop, but also to assess what the future of hip hop looks as well. As I write in the uh, introductory post, hip hop has touched every aspect of life from politics to race to uh, business to power to sex to technology to space even. I talk about how uh, in, in March, the first song to be debuted from outer space was uh, produced by uh, Lazarus, who is a rapper um, on a space station and uh, out, of, out of space, of course. So it just speaks to how hip hop really does reach all kinds of people. It began as this art form that was devised by disadvantaged black and Latinos in the Bronx. And it has burgeoned far beyond that. And as I say in the article, uh, it has become an art form that a lot of people want to cling to, a lot of people want to pick from. And, you know, even a lot of people who are not Black, who are not Latino, have been able to water it in their own right as well. And so this is just an opportunity for us here at The Readout to celebrate the legacy of hip hop and to talk about what that future looks like, both in the tech uh, aspect of it, but also just in terms of the lyrics and um, the physical embodiment of hip hop as well. We got uh, dance dances, 
Uh, dance culture is a big part of hip hop culture. I write about how car culture has been influenced by hip hop. I write about how uh, just, um, you know, sexuality and vulgarity as it's been, uh, hip hop has been kind of deemed this vulgar uh, genre, but people have often used this genre to kind of subvert uh, those expectations that people have of them what and their sexuality. So this really is just an opportunity, like I said, for us to celebrate this genre that is far reaching, re far reaching. I talk about how it's multi-generational, interdisciplinary, and even intergalactic. So it's uh, going to yeah. be a lot going on next month. Oh, well, hip hop went to the Supreme Court. I mean, look, Uncle Luke fought a whole free, you know, Donald Trump is talking about his free speech rights. Uncle Luke, like, he already did that. Been there, done that. Um, you know, exactly. it is interesting because it, this is a genre that, you know, it, there was a time when country music was the number one form of music in America. But hip hop globally is actually, you know, the dominant form of music and has influenced everything, including country music. Um, I do have to ask you, though, because the culture also is, you know, hip hop culture does predominate and it lives in memes. Uh, it lives yes. in meme world. It lives on social media. I got to ask you, do you have your folding chair ready for any and all haters who might have something to say about this new series? Is your folding chair uh, ready? John Jones. Yeah, <laughs> and you know so what I mean. Obviously you're, talk you're, you're talking about the Montgomery uh, throwdown. I just wanted to let you know, um, as a WWE fan, I love a good uh, chair shot. So uh, I'm not <laughs> condoning violence, but just in terms of the form, um, I've got to give that person credit. Uh, that was a, a I got to uh, give black culture credit. Absolutely. Black Twitter is undefeated. Uh, black culture is undefeated in its response. We're, we'll tell you what we're talking about tomorrow. Uh, but Jahan Jones, thank you very much. Be sure to check out the new digital series. It is called Hip Hop is Universal. All of Jahan's commentary will be there. Uh, and it is at the readout blog. Better yet, just better yet, just bookmark it. Bookmark it so you don't miss anything. That is tonight's readout. Hey, it's Mel Robbins. Let's cut to the chase. There is a change you want to make right now, but you're waiting to feel motivated. You don't need motivation. You've got me. You can change your life anytime you want. And when you're ready, the Mel Robbins podcast is here to help you with inspiration and simple science-backed tools to help you create a better life. Listen to me and you'll feel motivated, all right. Listen and follow the Mel Robbins podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.